Our guest in this episode came up with her idea for her impact business at the top of the highest single freestanding mountain in the world. Can you guess what mountain that was? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. In today's episode of the Good Business Podcast, we're talking with Justin Curtis, who is the founder and CEO at Inspired Adventures. So you know whenever you've supported someone raising money for a cause, like you know, walking the Kakata Track or hiking to Everest Base Camp, have you ever wondered who makes all this happen? Well, that's what the team at Inspired Adventures do. Inspired Adventures is the leading adventure fundraising agency in Australia and New Zealand, working with Australian, New Zealand and international charities to create inspiring fundraising adventures around the world. To date, Inspired Adventures has raised over $37 million from almost 7,000 fundraisers across 600 or so different adventures, everything from camping high in the Himalayas to seeing Machu Picchu for the first time, trekking the Great Wall of China along the Mongolian border, camel riding through the Rajasthan Desert and trekking to the highest tea plantations in the world. In this interview, we talk about that aha moment that led Justine to create Inspired Adventures, the challenges she faced along the way, and most recently, the impact of COVID-19. And as you were here, Justine came up with the idea for Inspired Adventures at the top of the highest single freestanding mountain in the world. So to see how good your geography is, you're going to have to listen to find out what that mountain was. So let's check it out. Why don't we start and with you introducing yourself and tell the audience who you are. Hi, James. So first of all, thank you for having me on today. Pleasure to be here. My name's Justine. I'm the founder of Inspired Adventures and her sister company, Inspired Travel. I started the companies back in 2004 and we've raised almost $40 million for charities in Australia and New Zealand. I'm also a mother of three-year-old twin boys, an 11-year-old daughter, and live in regional New South Wales. I'm very passionate about travel and philanthropy and using the power of business to do good. So it feels like a good fit to be on the show today. Yeah, great. And uh, three-year-old twins, that that must be an interesting uh, juggling act. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Rumbunctious <laughs> boys who are keeping myself and my husband were both um, almost 50 years old, very, very busy, as you can imagine. Yes, yes, I can I can absolutely imagine mine. I've only got one of one of each and they're not twins and uh, that was hard enough work. So I'm always in awe when I see particular mums with young ones and they've got the twins and get one foot on the ground rocking one while the other one's being fed and, <laughs> and they do the swap. It's um, pretty amazing. Indeed, yes. Yeah. It's quite so, a journey. Yes, yeah. So tell us, tell me something that most people may not know about you, even maybe even friends. Oh, I'd love to study medicine. Yes, even now I'm still like really drawn to it. I find the human body fascinating. I I love health and nutrition, and though just with what's happening with the pandemic around the world, I just get so moved and in awe of the the frontline workers and have that drive to just want to go out there and join them. I just, yeah, I find it really, really fascinating and compelling. Have you, uh, in your uh, younger days, did you ever ever think about pursuing that career? Oh, look, when I was, I think when I was about five, I had a a nightdress that said, when I grow up, I want to be a nurse. That's probably as far as I, as I got. I did biology at school, but, but yeah, I didn't, didn't go down that path. I went down the history degree, humanities route, so yes, steered away from medicine for some reason, but that passion is still there. 
Yeah, well, we'll get to your story in a moment, but I think you can probably still claim you've had um, as big an impact anyway going down a different pathway in terms of making the world a better place. So, But we'll get to that soon. So what would you say your superpower is? Um, eternal optimist. <laughs> which well, which is important, I guess, in the current times at the moment. Absolutely. I yeah, so, I, so I, I describe myself as a pragmatist. So you know, the optimist see the glass is half full, and the pessimist see the glass is half empty. And because I'm an engineer by training, I just look at the glass and think it's it's way way over designed, and it's actually twice as big as it really needs to be. So <laughs> anyway, very practical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the engineer's brain, unfortunately, it comes in handy sometimes, but other times it doesn't. So tell us a little bit about Inspired Adventures. You know, what what does the business do? Okay, so Inspired Adventures is a is a mix of a, a fundraising agency, event management company, digital marketing agency, with its sister travel agency. And what we do essentially is we connect passionate, well-deserving charities and causes with life-changing adventures to raise money and awareness for things that really matter. So we're in the business of creating extraordinary moments, these moments that will tilt our worlds be it in cities, in our tents, on top of a mountain, or simply embracing the weather and the great outdoors. So Inspired Adventures is a is a company that wants to connect people with communities around the world and here in Australia and New Zealand. And we hope that these moments not only change our world, but contribute to the greater good out there. So it's very much a social business for good. We've had over 700 adventures to date since 2004. And typical um, bucket list experiences that have been extremely popular are climbing Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, trekking the Great Wall of China. I think we've had over 80 Great Wall of China treks to date. Running the New York Marathon, we had 50 runners in New York a couple of years ago that raised over $750,000. Hiking the Inca Trail and then beautiful adventures in Australia, such as trekking Laura Pinta. Um, Kosciuszko, Tasmania treks and adventures in WA. So things all around the world, but obviously with the pandemic now, very much focused on our domestic market. Right. And so who, who are your customers? Are you, your customers like corporates who are wanting to run an event or are they not-for-profits who are trying to do a fundraising event? Like who, who's your main customer base? Main customer base is the charity sector. So we work with currently about 100 NGOs in Australia and New Zealand. And we create and design an adventure that really will speak to their supporter base. So, for example, with National Breast Cancer Foundation, we will design adventures that will really appeal to that, you know, average age, uh, mid to late 40s, female skew, have been through the cancer journey or living with breast cancer. So we create adventures that will be a, a new cathartic journey for them to go on. We also target corporates directly as well. So we've worked with companies such as Virgin Australia, SBS, insurance companies, and so forth. And for them, it's all about team building, leadership development, health and well-being, staff retention, and giving them an opportunity to engage their staff in taking on an adventure for a cause that's important to the organization. So it fulfills that CSR piece as well. Um, and then we also get universities and schools come on board with Inspired Adventures as well. One amazing trip we did was to Rwanda a few years back with World Vision Australia. And we took 22 students between the age of 14 and 17 years old over to Rwanda. 
And suffice to say, I think it was pretty life-changing for them. They got to arrive in a country that was National Community Service Day. They got to spend, you know, a few days immersed in a World Vision Australia program. And many of them came back and, you know, declared it's not about me anymore. And, you know, it's not about social media and all these things. And I want to change my selections for university. And it really had a, a, a big, big impact on these young people's lives. So that's a piece that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, that's a, that's a common theme with a lot of the previous guests we had on here where they've gone and they've traveled somewhere and experienced or seen something that they knew about in theory, but never really experienced it you know, themselves and how that you know, radically shifted their view on the world on and what they wanted to do on, do in life. It's, it's a, it seems to be a common theme that you know, when people actually lift look, look up for a few minutes and actually see what's going on in the world and what they can apply their skills to, it can radically shift someone's life. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we've seen over the 16 years is these moments, those experiences of, you know, declaring I'm going to sign up to trek up to Everest Base Camp in 12 months' time. I'm going to lose weight, get fit. I'm going to fundraise a minimum of $3,000 for leukemia and embark on this incredible roller coaster of a journey across the next 12 months fundraising, trying to sign up friends and family and engage the workplace, etc. And then finally arrive in Nepal and and trek and make new friends for life and overcome those days when you think, I can't do it, I need to turn back or I'm not fit enough and, you know, finally reach that pinnacle and know yourself to be somebody who you've never known yourself to be before. Mm. You, you can't you can't bottle that. It's just gold it really is and and it's very life-changing for people yeah so, so how, how does it work then so say i'm a a cause a not-for-profit that wants to do do some sort of fundraising and they come to you with you know we, we need to raise this amount of money for this so, say they're building a school in kenya uh, just hypothetically how, how would it work when they, when they come to work with or a corporate saying we, we want to do something what's the process they would go through with you and how do you design these adventures and where they go and what they do Designing them is the fun part, or as many fun parts, but particularly exciting creatively. Um, creatively. We, we first of all find out, for example, if we're doing something in Kenya, which is project-based, where that is, and then we'll work with our local operator in Kenya to design a trek or a cycle ride, because the compelling piece is for people to be able to go out to their friends and family and networks and say, sponsor me, I'm cycling you know, 500 kilometers over five days, and the money's going to achieve X, Y, Z. So that's my elevator pitch. That's the piece that's going to really engage people in supporting me on my journey. So we design an adventure that's going to fulfill that. So there's a challenge piece and quite often the community project piece. We go through a very rigorous um, series of risk assessments and you know we work with international SOS and local operator and risk assessment company here in Australia to make sure that we put together something that's very safe and well managed, etc. And once we've got the itinerary together, we bring it to life. So our digital marketing team and our creative design team will work on um, copy and imagery and build a beautiful marketing deck that the organization or the charity can use for their marketing purposes. So that will be, you know, EDM, social media assets and um, landing page and a beautiful response management and lead conversion piece using SMS and email and phone to get people on board. 
So there's a big piece in that bringing the campaign to life and having it succeed from a marketing point of view. Businesses tend to select a team of people who will join their adventure. So it will be a maybe an expressions of interest um, piece for staff to apply for. A charity might go out to their wider database. That may mean marketing out to anywhere from a couple of thousand to a couple of hundred thousand people on their database, as well as social media marketing. And then we have a team who do that lead management piece and onboard people. And then somebody signs up, registers, and then embarks on their individual journey with that fundraising and fitness and the advocacy piece across the next sort of 10 to 12 months. And what about the the fundraising piece, things like GoFundMe? Do you provide that platform for, yes. for someone to do that as well? Okay. Great. Yeah, so we've built our own platform and it's also a resource centre for people to access all their information about where they're travelling to and fundraising resources, etc. And so that platform is very key because that's somewhere where with relatively consummate ease, somebody can raise two or $3,000 by um, using that platform effectively and sending it out to friends and workplace, etc., colleagues, and making sure they're blogging on there. Maybe they're using the fitness integration as well so people can see how their training's going. That's particularly right. great for you know running a marathon, if they're going to do the New York Marathon or something like that. So, yeah, so that platform's really, really key. So we, we help each person that signs up, be it an individual or it could be a corporate team, to develop a fundraising plan. And that includes the platform as well as offline activities, so other events and ways of engaging their wider network. Great, awesome. So so we've heard a bit about what Inspired Ventures does today, but I actually want to take you back in time. And so back before Inspired Adventures existed, and I want to understand you know, what what was the origin story like? How did where did the idea come from? Like, how did you you know what was motivating you to actually start Inspired Adventures in the first place? Okay, so obviously I'm from the UK, and after my um, college years, I was living in London and decided to go travelling. Um, so booked a back in '97, booked a two year ticket around the world, which included um, a year working in Australia. And arrived here in 98 and um, moved into a direct marketing agency, working with um, corporate clients and doing a lot of sort of phone work and DM work there and decided to take another couple of years out from within that couple of years and, and go traveling again and ended up in India. And I was in India for best part of a year and decided to travel up to northern India to Dharamsala, which is where the Dalai Lama lives, and do some voluntary work up there. And while I was getting a train up to Dharamsala, I met someone on the train and they were reading a book called Fire Under the Snow. And I asked if I could read the book. And I read the book and it was about a Tibetan monk called Padang Gyatso who was imprisoned by the Chinese in Tibet in 1959 when the Chinese invaded. And as you probably know, many Tibetans were executed and imprisoned and the Dalai Lama fled at that point um, eventually to India. And I read the book and he'd been imprisoned, as I said, for 33 years. And at that stage, I was 30 years old. So very impactful hearing about somebody's life for your duration of your whole life, being incarcerated in a couple of metres squared space. 
and he was often tortured and threatened to be killed, etc. And eventually fled, got into India, met the Dalai Lama, who told him to write a book. And since that, Powden had been um, traveling the world and lecturing and, you know, campaigning for free Tibet. Fast forward, I arrived in Dharamsala. I got work teaching, um, voluntary teaching to new arrival Tibetan refugees. And speaking to a guy one day, I said about the book I'd read. And this um, young Tibetan man said, I know him. He lives around the corner. He's here at the moment. I'll take you to meet him. Yeah, Yeah, so I got taken to Powden's home. He was um, fortunately in India at that time and not traveling. And walked up the stairs and into this room. And there was this um, wonderful, incredible um, Tibetan smile and aura and human being in front of me. And I've never felt that energy before that I experienced. And I got to sit with him for a couple of hours and have tea and biscuits. And he shared about his life and I shared about mine. It didn't feel quite as... um, important or worthy of sharing about but he was a a wonderful wonderful human being to connect with and I felt very privileged and at that point I'd been doing some meditation in India and I was about to start my trip back to Australia and back into the direct marketing world and I said I was you know a bit anxious about coming back here and what life would look like again because I'd found it such an incredible experience being in India and he just put his head on my hands on my head and put his forehead on mine. He said, just do good work, do Dharma, do good work. So I was like, aha, okay, I'm going to try and do this. What do I need to do? So that was back in 2000. I came back to Australia. I saw an advertisement for like an account manager role in a fundraising agency. And so I used my direct marketing skills to get into a fundraising agency. So we had um, charity clients organizing direct mail campaigns and phone campaigns, etc. And whilst there, got an opportunity to for an organization you probably know called Cancer Council New South Wales to create a face-to-face fundraising campaign. So these are the people you see on the streets for charities with the clipboards. You'll probably cross the road to avoid them. Um, and so we created one of the first ever face-to-face campaigns and that was very exciting and that turned into its own organization and I became I moved into a general manager role quickly and during those three years we raised over 20 million dollars for Cancer Council through face-to-face which was quite extraordinary as well as started at many other campaigns for different NGOs. Whilst there I did a management training course And we had to come up with a goal to get ourselves out of our comfort zone and complete that goal within 12 weeks. And I put my hand up and said, I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro and raise $30,000 to fund a water pump for an orphanage in Zimbabwe. So my friend has set up a, a project with a colleague of hers in Zimbabwe, helping to fund an AIDS orphanage. And, um, I, I was, I don't know where that came from. It was something that certainly got myself out of my comfort zone. And off I went to embark on fundraising, which I'd never done before. I was relatively unfit. I was working sort of 60 hour weeks at this fundraising agency anyway. 
and started that fundraising journey and fitness journey and walking around the streets of Balmain with a backpack on filled with Mm. telephone directories thinking that would cut it. But yes, off I went and managed to get free flights to Africa and found a little ground operator there and climbed to the top of Kilimanjaro and did it in, I think it was four days to the summit and two days down, which is relatively fast. And it wasn't pretty. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And it took a lot and kept thinking of Powden and never giving up and all of those messages. And when I got to the top, I had an epiphany to turn that into a business model. So I came down the mountain and handed my notice in and knowing the charity sector quite well through my work at that previous job and having seen charity challenges as a concept grow over in the UK, I saw an opportunity to create an agency that would fulfill all of that work pre-departure for the best part of a year, as well as actually putting together these incredible experiences on the ground. Mm. Over in the UK, um, since 92, charity challenges have been around and charities have big teams employed in-house to do the work that I've described that we do. And I'm a firm believer in outsourcing and by doing what we do in-house, we can allow a charity to work on that nurturing the the donor and building the relationship and not having to administrate everything. And so I created the first ever adventure, which was a trek for Tibet. So it's back to Tibet for the Australia Tibet Council. And that was in 2005 and took 20 people back to India, trekking in Dharamsala and the the region around there. And we raised $55,000. The following year, we had I had two more adventures for Mission Australia and Australian Cancer Research Foundation, and we're now up to just just under $40 million raised. Wow, very impressive. So I guess you must be in a uh, very small club of people who uh, launched their business on the top of uh, Kilimanjaro, (laughs) I imagine. But I just want to take you back a little bit. So, So once you made that decision, what was the first thing you did? So you handed in your notice, you know, what was the first thing you did to actually get it up and going and had it? And I also want to know about that first customer. How did you actually get that that first customer uh, on board to you know, believe in your idea? I literally walked into the Tibet Council's office one day and I said, there's the there's executive director and assistant, Katie. And um, I said, have you got a moment? They said, yes. I said, I want to create a trek for Tibet for you. And this is what what it's going to look like. I'm going to, for the next 12 months, create the campaign. I want you to send out an email to your database. I'll literally do all the work for you to bring people on board. I'll help them fundraise. And then we're going to go to India. And Katie said, I'm coming. And and she did. And she ended up working for Inspired Adventures as well in the future, which was wonderful. So it was literally just declaring it. Like I declared, I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro and fundraise the money there. I just took... I guess I just took that steadfast belief and idea into, you know, a business opportunity. And that's that wonderful phrase of, you know, you jump off the, the cliff and build your wings on the way down. I literally did that. So I declared it and then went back home and, you know, had a computer and I was in my living room. I was like, right, okay, I need um I need a logo, I need a business model. That was literally back of an envelope. Mm -hmm. I need to come up with a brochure. I need a designer. I found a designer. We designed some bits and pieces. 
got an email together, sent out the email, had a spreadsheet in Excel. People started to inquire. I was handling the calls and I was chasing them up and literally doing everything that my team of, you know, 12 staff now do, plus our huge extended family of consultants and you know, volunteers, et cetera. And I was doing that whole piece myself for the first three or four years. Um, it was crazy. And I, I led the first few trips as well. So Inca Trail and Great Wall of China and Southern India. I even broke my arm team leading in Southern India with 24 women and carried on, yeah. which was wow. a great dinner party story. Unforgettable. <laughs> but it is now, probably wasn't at the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I, th- I think a lot of people who have launched or started something can empathise with that. Being the uh, CEO, the chief, chief everything officer in, in the business in those uh, early days. But, but I really want to hear about some things that went wrong. So, yeah, nothing ever goes to plan. Yeah, the best, the best plans never survive the first contact with your customers. So, have you got an example of something that, when you think back on it, makes you cringe about how you went about it, or, or something that went wrong? I think back in. 2012 we had a a big corporation approach me it was a big airline and they wanted us to create a huge program of adventures to engage staff as well as adventures to engage their frequent flyer program and it was very very exciting and I went away and created the concept the ideas that was all approved signed off and I scaled up I took on another office, scaled up in anticipation of how it was all going to go. And it wasn't launched at the right time. Yeah, there was a lot of things that didn't go to plan, particularly on their side. And so they pulled out. And yeah, that was a big learning curve for me. That that left me in a, a period of financial vulnerability for a couple of years and reputation management to do which you know looking back was handled really really well but I think that that the learning is to to always avoid that scaling up piece and just you know just work organically and grow as as the work is coming in and and not based on that that looks really good that's going to work because of this big companies involved and the promises and the commitments, you know, all of those pieces. So yeah, yeah. big, big, big expensive training course that was. Yeah. Building sustainable is a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. And if you yeah. try to grow too quickly, you run into those sorts of problems. And even just having one customer that's a an unequal share of your, your revenue base and you lose that one customer and you're in a lot of trouble. So, 100%. Um, yeah, so, so, so what did you do? So, yeah, you had this, you geared up, you yeah, all excited because so, it obviously sounds like as a you know, small growing business, you know, a massive, you got a big fish on the hook and you, you're trying to land it and then all of a sudden that just falls away. I mean, what what, what were some of the immediate things that you you had to do to sort of deal with that issue and, and and has that carried through to what you do today yeah we had I think it was five charities on board and they had the expectation of this working so I went into damage control with them and look the majority of them are still clients and that was handled really well and um, so that was the main thing I think you know the reason I'm doing this is to to do good work and and to raise funds and and so making sure that piece was was managed extremely well. And then, of course, staff, 
managing staff and and dealing with those pieces, which again was handled well. We managed to reduce overheads, expenses, and pull out of the second office and <laughs> quickly quickly um gather it all back together and and then ended up the following year having a you know having a really good year luckily the new york marathon was taking off as a very successful event for us as a fundraiser so it was all about plugging those revenue gaps and keeping clients and staff clients happy and, and staff in in employment which we managed to do but yeah it's never pretty when something like that happens and I think it does happen to a fair few people and it's a big, big learning curve. It's yeah, all for yeah, not looking for that big growth piece and just sustainable and, you know, longevity in business. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously being in the, the travel industry in the current environment with COVID, that's obviously it would have been a big shock uh, to your business. Can you talk us through what, what's sort of been happening uh, on that front? Yes. Well, our biggest international destination this year was China, followed by Italy. So we've been, (laughs) ironically, we've been managing through it since the beginning of January. We could see what was happening, you know, from, I guess, early on. So I I think in the first one to two months, it felt like a a travel business related issue. Then it suddenly became the whole whole world's issue, didn't it? So it was a, a fast moving piece. We've managed to move all of our adventures scheduled for this year by a couple of domestic ones in November to next year. We've managed to pivot onto domestic primarily as well from international. So the staff have been extraordinary and our charity partners have been absolutely brilliant and supportive as well. So what we've we've basically done is created an organisation that's very much Australian-focused in terms of travel. And and the wonderful piece about that is we've got regional Australia that's been so badly damaged by the bushfire crisis and now the pandemic that we're able to bring tourism home and into New Zealand as well and and shift um, travellers there. And also, I'm very optimistic that coming out of this, people will be thinking a lot more philanthropically about how they travel and how they adventure together with friends individually or as a family. And and hopefully the opportunity to travel regionally and, and for a good cause is going to be very appealing. We're putting together some bushfire relief treks into Kangaroo Island, which is opening up later this year and funding local initiatives there, as well as looking at the Beagle Valley and Gippsland and other areas in Australia. So it's silver lining. It's helping to refocus us. And we're looking at um, declaring a climate plan of, you know, what we're going to achieve over the next few years. And and that's very much going to be um, a minimum of at least 60% of our adventures being domestic. And looking to reduce our carbon footprint, we're a B corporation as well, and and have been since 2014. And all those pieces are very important to us. So it's yeah, in a in a positive way, it shifted our focus, and I think that yeah. longer term will be for the good. Yeah, and, and so what that sounds to me is if you know the the business is built on a really solid business model in terms of you know what what's its mission and the, actually the destination to some extent is just an activity that activates the business model and it can be substituted quickly with other things, but the fundamentals of the business model still stand even in this current environment. And I think that's really important for people who are looking at trying to develop their own business. You know, the robustness of your business model is probably just as important as the product you offer. Yeah. Um, So I'm interested interested in your thoughts thoughts on that. Yeah, look, um, 
it's very, very true. We were a cause, cause-related um, business and we did some market research with our participants a few years ago and the key driver for all of them signing up to do an inspired adventure was, I want to make a difference. I want to raise funds to fund a kids' line help, you know, counsellor for a year or I want to fund this piece of life-saving equipment or whatever that might be. Secondly, it's, oh, I get to go on an adventure with like-minded people. And the most surprising thing for them across the board was I've got new friends for life through that experience of having travelled with these people. Mm. And so, yeah, it's very much cause-driven and, you know, trekking the able Tasman in New Zealand or Everest Base Camp or, you know, Tuscany. They're all wonderful, incredible places to travel, but it's it's that community that you're building. It's those moments and those life-changing experiences with each other that 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 really are unforgettable and why people sign up. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's important as well. You know, the value proposition that you're bringing to, you know, both the not for the, the people trying to raise money for a cause as well as those participating is not the destination as such. You know, the destination is just a vehicle uh, to get you there. So understanding exactly what that value proposition is to ultimately your customers is real another really important, I guess, thing for people to take away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so as we emerge into this new world out the back of uh, COVID, where do you see inspired adventures in the future? We're just going through a, a rebrand at the moment, which is really exciting. And a new logo, manifesto, a website, etc. And it's a really wonderful opportunity to evaluate those pieces. I think now more than ever in this emerging world, we want to really drive connection, incredible local travel experiences um, for people of all ages. So families, older people, people who, you know, maybe living with a disability or a disease or whatever that might look like. So being as inclusive as possible and and really looking after our own backyard, Um, doing a lot more in the corporate space, um, creating employee well-being and engagement opportunities for causes that they care about is something else that we're very passionate about as well. So so really taking that focus to more local, um, supporting communities and 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 companies and businesses and and their you know CSR strategies. Great. Now, if there's someone listening out there right now and they've got a they've they've been on a train in India and they've been inspired to do something uh, and they've got an idea, um, what's the one piece of advice that you give to someone like that? Follow your dreams, never give up, but also become very skilled at understanding your business financial health and what your key KPIs are and how to track them. Great advice. Very good, very good advice. Uh, understanding the numbers, I think a lot of people get excited about the idea and the dream. I forget that you know, a business, whether it's a social impact business, whether it's a, a not-for-profit or whether it's a for-profit business, um, all are held to the same account on managing your finances. So yeah, yeah. very good advice. Yeah, it's, I, th- I find it quite heartbreaking to see how many wonderful social good startups don't succeed. And I think this this financial health piece and being so intimately across all of the detail is is really key for success yeah yeah yeah. the cause the the cause is great and it's really important but it's not enough there needs to be some fundamentals that surround the business model to allow you to actually thrive and deliver the impact that you want to deliver so if, if people wanted to get in touch and learn more about inspired adventures what's the best way for them to connect um email would be great so it's 
justine at inspiredadventures.com.au. Great. And I assume the, uh, the website's just the same, inspiredadventures.com.au, if people want to go and have a look. That's it. Yep. And check out the new branding. Not there yet. Uh, it's coming. Uh, well, by the time this goes live, maybe we'll see. There you go. All right. So, so what's one thing you'd like uh, if someone after people listen to this uh, this podcast episodes? What's one thing you'd like them to do? I would I would love people to email me and let me know that you're where your passion areas to travel in Australia and New Zealand are. I'd love to hear where you'd like to to journey to. Awesome. Great customer feedback. Good opportunity to get it. All right. So let's let's wrap up with what we call our mad minute. So this is basically five quick questions in 60 seconds. So let's go. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Do good work. Uh, yes, of course. What's, what's your favorite business book? Um, Brené Brown, Dare to Lead. When you were a kid, I think I might even know the answer to this one. What did you want to be when you grew up? A nurse. A nurse, yes. <laughs> and what, what's your favorite quote? Um, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, Margaret Mead. Yeah, nice. And if you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Head to India now, learn to meditate and start practicing yoga. <laughs> That's a very specific piece of advice. And would, your, would uh, the 20-year-old Justine have listened to that? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I know he's in the in the uh, current environment. I'm sure you got lots on your plate. But look, I think it's a great story. I love the mission and the things that you guys are trying to do in the world. And I think there's some really good practical advice in there for anyone listening out there. So hopefully we've inspired at least one person to go out there and uh, make a difference in the world. And uh, look, thanks for joining us on the Good Business Podcast. Thank you, James. I really enjoyed it. How good was that? I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I think that was a really good example of why it's important to make sure that you have a really robust business model for your impact business. So even though travel and adventure is a key part of what they do and they were significantly impacted by COVID, that was not the why of the business. Their why was to help people raise funds for causes people are passionate about by connecting them with amazing experiences and there are many ways to make that happen. Now, if you haven't checked out the great resources available on our website, which includes a free downloadable worksheet on how to craft your why statement, then head over to www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast. Remember, if you like today's episode, make sure you click that like and subscribe button. Uh, also, tell a friend about the podcast so they get some inspiration from great businesses doing great things. Coming up in the next episode. I, I remember the closing ceremony and I was so overwhelmed that I was like, I think I'm going to be sick. Uh, and I went back to the office a few days later and nothing was the same. How a life-changing moment inspired this entrepreneur to start an impact tech company with a mission to inspire millions of people to do small things that together make a big impact. That's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.